welcome to another edition of Look Who's Talking, our monthly chat show all about what's going on in the life of Christchurch New Malden. I'm Anna Larkin, and here on the show this month, I have regulars Stephen Kurt. Hello. And Nathan Larkin. Hey there. Plus our very special guest for this month, lay reader Katie Loughman. Hello. In this month's show, we'll be talking quite a lot about sermons and preaching with a focus on what the ministry of being a lay reader is all about and the particular things that it's intended to bring to the church. We will also be reviewing what's coming up in the preaching programme for May and having a chat about the nuts and bolts of how preachers go about preparing all those sermons that we listen to. And finally, we'll be having a discussion about the actual role of sermons, why they're important, if they are at all, and the sort of ones that work for us as individuals and the ones that don't, and also what we as a congregation can be doing to get the most out of them as we sit there listening to them. But before any of that, I actually want to start by revisiting a topic from last month when we had Tom Collins on the show, Mm. the wolf run. It's finally (laughs) happened. How did it go? Well, you were there, weren't you, Katie, uh, cheering us on. So perhaps you'll give your perspective. Oh, it was a fantastic day. I mean, the runners did so well. And as there were a few of us spectating from Christchurch, lots of families and um, of the people who were running. And of course, lots of people from all the other runners as well. So Mm. we... It was amazing because the weather turned out absolutely beautiful. Yeah, we were fortunate. Yes, it, it, it was <laughs> a bit worrying on the morning, I seem to remember. I know, it rained to begin with. But by the time we got there, there was beautiful blue sky and lovely sort of white clouds and some wind. And oh, it perfect. was really lovely, perfect spring day and green grass. And it was just so nice to be out on the, in the You were the key cheerleader, really, weren't you, Katie? Well, you, you, you came along to sort you of You and Debbie Tompkinson. Yep. Yeah, Debbie came over from where she's living now and met, us, met up with us. And that was really nice to see her again. And what was amazing was seeing everybody so muddy. <laughs> that was the funniest thing. <laughs> Stephen still had mud in his ear after he preached I the did. sermon I came the next back. day. I, 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 I came back and, uh, well, you, had, you were able to have showers there. Uh, having gone through the mud and the lakes and all that. And there were showers where you could wash the worst of the mud off you. And uh, then I had to drive back from uh, Warwickshire. Um, came home, I think had a bath, where the bath water then smelt as bad oh. as the swamp at the end of it. And uh, tried to scrub it all off. Then had a shower afterwards. And I still <laughs> have people saying I had flecks of mud in my ear <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, the next day at Christchurch. How long did it take to get your kit clean? Or did you have to just bin it? You did it in a white t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, I did. Um, well, it went in the washing machine and my trainers did. Actually, it, w- it was all washed successfully, actually. Okay. So it was amazing. But I just thought seeing so many people trying so hard and really pushing themselves was a real inspiration and as a result i just found that combined with the weather the whole event just really uplifting and mm. a really sort of joyous occasion yeah. actually yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And fantastic. as a, and then when everyone finished and then we were all together and, and patting each other on the back and getting hamburgers and whatnot that was really uh, really nice to be able to feel really part of something mm. that yeah. everyone mm. was doing together. I think, I mean, I, I wasn't there on the day. We did get to watch the video, which is on the website. Mm. Uh, if uh, if you want to watch yeah. that, it's worth, a, it's worth a watch. But the thing that really impressed me was the fact that you did have people running from all different abilities, some yeah. who've kind of done Ironman and mm. triathlons, yep. others who've done marathons, and, and others who really are fairly new to running, and mm. certainly all the obstacles and all, all that. All shapes and sizes of people. Um, <laughs> no details, but, um, but, uh, <laughs> Not from Christchurch. We were the fittest looking group. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. But I do, I, I did love that 
they ran as a pack together. Yeah. You know, they didn't yeah. say, right, the fastest can go off and the slowest will go together. You know, everyone um, kind of dragged each other through it. And, yeah, and um, that was really crucial because there were some, and, and I was amongst them, who it wasn't the easiest thing uh, to do because, one, because I don't like heights particularly. Mm. So there were some quite uh, high obstacles to go over. And, um, you know, um, people were really sort of encouraging and helpful about that. Um, but also, yeah, some of the um, swimming through that lake was Yeah, was we quite almost hard. had a drowned vicar. Yeah, it was. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it was just where there was some... I mean, I knew there was going to be a 70-metre lake that we had to swim across. And <laughs> while there was a bit of um, one or two people saying, I'm not sure you might be able to wade it, um, most people seemed to be saying, no, this was something you had to swim. And so at that point, and we'd, we'd run already for the best part of about 45 minutes by that stage. And... Um, and of course, swimming with clothes on isn't the easiest thing, no. and wearing Ooh. trainers and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I got about 45 metres across this cold lake, and then I just wasn't really going anywhere. And I thought, hmm, this is quite uh, interesting. Unfortunately, this woman came across in a canoe to me and said, oh, you're in trouble, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I am. <laughs> and um, so she, I grabbed onto a bit of string on her canoe, and she pulled me over to um, where there was a rope going across ah, the, so the lake so I managed along. to pull my I mean it's still quite good. hard work to yeah, sort of pull yeah. yourself across yeah. um, but that yeah it was really really good though and I was quite glad that we were not just a sort of sporty elite from within the church yeah. but a fairly uh, mixed bag of people really and it and mm. it was you know fantastically bonding so so I think it was great for the cause of human trafficking because we've raised well that's the thing grand. I was going to say it's very yeah. apt having a, a group of people working together to overcome quite big obstacles yeah. when you think about what the purpose of the wolf run yeah. and um and raising all of that money for yeah. hope for justice yeah. who of course have a team of people who work together to try and overcome the yeah. many obstacles in in rescuing people from slavery here in yeah. the UK yeah so how much money was raised well in nearly uh, I think it's nearly 10 grand 10 grand was our target that's and fantastic Fantastic. People both gave through our, uh, Just Giving a webpage, uh, Reclaiming Tax has got quite a bit. People have given, uh, on Easter Day, all the all the offerings given uh, went to the Wolf Run. So basically it's um, it's as near to 10,000, um, you know, I think it pretty much is uh, on Yeah, 10, it'd be 000. nice to hit 10. I mean, so it's great. Yeah, well, I think, I think, the, I think, money think we may still, I think the money is still yeah. coming in slowly. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and if anybody um, hasn't yet given some money towards this and would like to, um, the um, Just Giving page is still live, I think. Yep. So you can access that through mm. the Christchurch website yeah. if you would still like see, to See, there's donate. the money. Then there's the awareness, which yep. you could argue is even more important mm. because it really put it on the map. Um, and we've done a lot to flag up human trafficking. So I hope there's no one coming along to Christchurch now who's unaware of what human trafficking is all about, mm. which wouldn't have been the case two years ago. Um, and then as well as that, there is uh, just people throwing themselves into a common project and working together on mm. it. And the value of that is yeah. is huge as well. So at Men Behaving Dadly uh, last month, we showed the um, the DVD. Oh, really? We came into the church and watched it. And the kids loved watching it, you know, watching their dads. When I went into Rainbow's Nursery, where we've got about two or three children... Um, whose uh, parents ran in the wolf run um, because it's on YouTube. We watched it and they all loved, you know, very proud of their daddies and, in oh, case, mm, their mummies in the wolf run. So yeah. that's and great. It, yeah, and in terms of awareness and stuff, we did have, you know, even around the same time at Easter, we had uh, Katie here selling uh, guilt-free oh, Easter yes. eggs as well. Yeah. And, you know, so I do, hopefully it is a, oh, yeah. a thing that people who come to Christchurch mm. know that it, it's important to us. You yeah, know, and we've yes. talked in the past about a tipping point coming 
This has yep. happened with the environment. This happened with institutional racism. Happens with quite a lot of issues where you hear people going on about something for a while and then it becomes in the forefront of your consciousness. Mm. And yeah. I think we're now mm. getting there on human trafficking. Yes. Mm. Well, let's move on because um, Katie is more than just a cheerleader and an Easter egg <laughs> salesperson. <Yeah. laughs> um, Katie, you are a lay reader. Mm. Which is um, which is an odd term. I think sometimes just called a reader. Is that right? Well, I think reader, the official term is reader with a capital R. A but I think that's reader. a rather strange title because I think well, people know, reading read is the least of it, really. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I, if, when I, before I haven't been to Church of England, if no someone said that you're a reader, I would have, I I would have thought that it meant well, to get up what, and read the Bible. Yeah, well, I, I, thought thought it, well, I think where it originally came from was that unless you had an MA... Going further back in the church's history, you weren't allowed to do your own sermon. Oh, so if you had an MA back in the sort of 16th, 17th yeah. century, you could write your own sermon. If you didn't, then you had to read homilies, which had been written for you. Really? So I. And so when I think, the vicar was away, the, the, then this person used to read the sermon yeah. that the vicar so, had written. So, hey. I th so I think there's part of that, mm. and also the okay. leading of services as well, where you would read, you know, yep. the service to the congregation. Yeah. So I think probably there's something, you know. You're um, the reader rather of the service rather than the creator of the service. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Yeah, which was probably emphasising something quite important about the church actually devising these forms of worship together rather than just individuals doing it. Yeah, because ironically now, well, I mean, it does mean that you're leading the service. Yeah. It would be far more um, accurate, really, to call it lay minister. Yeah, yeah. that's really. what I say. If they were people. called lay ministers or lay preachers. Yes, that's what yeah. I say when I'm yeah. talking to somebody who doesn't know the church. Right. Yeah. And I say Even the term lay isn't something I'd come no. across until... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So lay means that you're not, you're not as good as someone else. No, well, but in, a, in another yeah. context, yeah. it would. Like it would. Not a lawyer yeah. Yes, I'm only a layman on this. Yes, yeah. 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 it means you're not quite good, but the real person was unavailable. Well, it comes from the people of God or the laos, the laity. Okay. But, I mean, readership, interestingly, in the form we've got it, started in the very first same year that Christchurch was built. So 1866, Christchurch was built. Next year's our 150th anniversary, but it's also the 150th anniversary of lay readership well, hey. in the Church of England. <laughs> Let's have a party. So, uh, yeah. And, and it is a... Um, I mean, I think the thing about readership which is important is that it's an authorised role. It's accredited, it's licensed, but it's very much a lay ministry. And I think the value of readership is that rather than just clergy roles being authorised and uh, licensed, it does symbolise something very, very important about the fact that ministry isn't something that's just done by clergy. Yep. It's done by all the people of God. And um, so it's not just those with the collar up at the front. No, and having, um, I mean, the Church of England's got 10,000 readers, yeah. about half of them are men, half of them are women. So actually it's incredibly uh, balanced mm. gender-wise. Um, that's unusual the interesting thing is it was the first world war um, where there weren't women readers up to that time and I think they were licensed because there were so many men away at the war mm. and uh, so it started sort of pragmatically and then after the war there wasn't much female readership and then I think from 1969 women mm. started getting made mm. which but year I was born was it a, do you know when it, was it similar to you know it happened to most things during the war women took over all sorts of jobs for the first time and yeah then, then there was a conflict I think yeah. it was there back. was never I don't think I, I'm not necessarily right on this I don't think it ever needed legislation to change it okay so it wasn't like the so they just step, women in they just stepped back down again and I, I think so back yeah, yeah it's, it's but it's a really and Christchurch had a lot of readers it's not long ago in the history of Christchurch there were 10 lay readers 
And then it became less and less and less. And when I became vicar, um, fairly soon there was only one. It was Arthur Featherstone. And Arthur was a wonderful uh, guy. And he died um, not long into my time as vicar. And then there were no readers, and Katie started training to be so one. So how many lay readers have we got at the moment? We've just got the one in Katie, but we've got two uh, buns in the oven in terms <laughs> of Tim Davis and Becky Mills, oh, yeah. who are both at different stages of their training. I think Becky may become a lay reader next year, Yes, I and Tim the year after, I think. And I think there is quite a lot of, of training to do. So Katie, if I can bring you in at this point, mm. um, what made you decide to become a reader in the first place? And then what was the training like? Well, uh, I first thought about it a long time ago when uh, Christchurch was a bit different then from how it is now. It was about probably about, well, it must have been about 19, early 90s. And, and I was sitting in the congregation and I was just looking at the people up the front and I just thought... There's no women up the front and there's nobody young up the front. And at mm. that time I was quite young. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought the church needs somebody young, somebody who's a woman up the front. And so I put myself forward for lay reading then. And I started the training, but then I got pregnant and I was quite ill with my pregnancy. And, and you so, had twins. And then I had twins. Mm. So, yeah, so I had to give up and I thought, oh, well, never mind. When the baby's born, I'll go back to it. And of course, so once it's the not a coincidence born, then that you've done it as soon as your two children have grown up and left home. Well, we had a crucial yeah. conversation, didn't we, Katie? Do you and then remember Stephen the convers- discovered about this historic event. of, And then in the... In, well, what happened was, from my point of view, is that Katie came up and said, well, you know, actually a few years ago I did start training to be a reader because I felt we need women up the front but now we've got Helen and Carolyn mm. as curates that's not really needed anymore is it mm. and I said hold on that, <laughs> that's not good enough that's that's irrelevant yeah. and um when it went from there really didn't it Katie yes and and I started and you said oh just during the interregnum would you take a turn you know so there's share the work around that's all right just for the interregnum <sighs> then the interregnum finished and i went on preaching <laughs> Do you know that's not my he... memory at all katie i i don't think <laughs> i've ever asked someone to do something just to fill in i think right from the minute you said that i thought this is a really valuable ministry yeah. but um yeah, you know and you're you're, you're the only you're the only preacher who's ever been late for the service at which they were first preaching <laughs> <laughs> and yes. uh, which astonished me um um, and um, yeah, Katie worked really hard through your training, and you know makes a really vital contribution. I mean, I I, I think the thing about readership, which I suppose is some to some degree true of part-time uh, non-stipendiary or non-paid clergy as well, but I think it's vital to have people who are preaching regularly who are doing normal jobs. Now, yep. I know no, no job is normal in one sense. But I think there's a particular value in Katie being a publisher and being stuck into the world of, for want of a better way of putting it, secular work Mm. and being informed by that and being shaped by that and preaching from that context. Because I know once you get ordained, you particularly if, you know when you're full time you get away quite quickly from the ordinary world that people operate with i guess yeah. there's also a credibility I mean, you know yeah. i think sometimes unfortunately i don't think it's right but sometimes there can be um a kind of slight attitude of well it's all well and good you preaching that but you've got all day yeah. uh, uh, to do it you know and, yeah. and that's your job to to live in that way and I, yes and i think that is one of the one of the key sort of ethos of the lay reader role is being that bridge between yeah. The, the sort of the kind of working in the in the world which is 
Well, I, I'm trying not to use the word secular, but I can't think yeah. of another yeah. way to describe it. Mm. Working in the secular world and working in the church so that you're bringing, you're bringing everyday life that people are familiar with together with a spiritual response to that yeah. that I think is sometimes more difficult for clergy yep. because they've only, they see much more of the spiritual side of life than some of the rest of us do. Mm. But then, the nut, the, then with the so talk, going back to talking about how I went into lay mm. reader, yeah. after I'd been preaching for a while, then Stephen said, "Why don't you, you know, go back to doing the training that you were doing before?" And and it just seemed like a logical thing to do. So I was really pleased to do that. And I had three years of being in a lovely group of people. We got really close with our classmates, um, studying the Bible, studying all different aspects of the church and. Christianity and it was really interesting mm. and uh, that was I really enjoyed that very sort of intellectually stretching as well so I had to write essays and <laughs> didn't have to do exams thank goodness but all sorts of assignments you did and a placement at St James's as well oh yes you? to go to a very high church to see how that how different they are from us and that was interesting how was that they were very welcoming and they think I, I think they thought I was quite sweet because I didn't know anything at all about <laughs> the and, the, yeah. and where the you have to and stand and, and yeah. all these sort of rituals that they have. I think they thought, oh, poor dear, you know, we better fill her in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then being a preacher since I've been a lay reader, it, there's so much more support than there was when I was preaching without being a lay reader, partly because I've got the support of my training, but I, I've got my colleagues in other churches. I've got the, the backup, the sort of infrastructure that there is in the diocese yeah. that mm. supports lay readers. Um, my role is recognised in a different way. and that, yeah. So actually being a preacher as a lay reader is much easier than being a preacher yeah. when you're not a lay reader. I mean, it's, in, it's interesting how, uh, I mean, I've preached... Uh, as a member of the congregation, then as an ordinand, then mm. as a curate, then as vicar. And it is quite interesting the difference that it makes to the level to which you feel comfortable yeah. to challenge people. I'm, saw, I'm sure the Office mm. of Youth Worker, which Nathan has, gives some of this as well. Um, it does make a difference. If you've been sort of accredited, if you've been recognised and given this role officially, then I think it does give an extra level of confidence to... Mm you know, sort of challenge and, you know, speak to people. Mm. So, uh, Katie, are there other aspects to the role of lay reader? Is it all about preaching or are there are there other th things, other responsibilities that you're expected to do? Well, it varies in different churches, but I'm very lucky here in that I go to, I'm, I'm able to go to the staff meeting every week, which is really interesting because then I, I feel... Um, I find out what Stephen and everyone gets up to during the <laughs> week and I feel as I'm much more included in the centre of the church so mm. that I can uh, and that enables me to have much more of an insight into the way the church is going and the 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 agenda that Stephen is following in the way he's leading the church mm. and so of course that means I can preach more relevantly and it means I can look out for people as well because I've, if I know that something's happening, then I can keep an eye out for the people who might be relevant to that and make sure I talk to them. Mm. Um, I know what I could invite people to, yeah. things like that. So and to a little extent, that's kind of 
uh, why we started this, isn't it? You know, this mm. um, the podcast here because it's to it it really helps to be informed yeah, what's going on in church and yeah. um, what's coming up, what's happened in the past because it can be really easy to feel out of the loop. But um, mm. but hopefully when we sit around and chat like this, people mm. get a bit of an insight into yep. into what's happening and yep. um, can therefore become and why more we're of a part doing of it themselves. Yeah. The, what we're yeah, doing, I think behind. that's the yeah. really crucial thing that helps people to feel more fully involved when they understand why we do the things we do and and and, mm. and I think um it's really good if that's integrated within the preaching um so that the yeah. sermons people are preaching are Definitely. sort of giving at least in part um further explanation of of, of why certain things are so important and we're up to Mm. Well, staying on the theme of preaching, we have now got an opportunity to have a look at what will be coming up in May at Christchurch. Um, so at 11 o'clock, they are continuing their... Um, a, a while ago, they started on the Ten Commandments and they got halfway through and then they were rudely interrupted by Easter. <laughs> so they yeah, didn't give up on the commandments. You so know, they that are, was they're carrying on only, with the rest of them. Yes, I had initially thought you'd picked out only the ones that you thought were still relevant. And you were yep. No, we the think rest. people at 11 o'clock are very capable of murder. And <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, so they will be... Um, at 11 o'clock, we'll carry on with those and then um at the 9 30 service we have got a um a series on the difference that it makes to believe in dot 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 so we've got all sorts of things we've got um the resurrection appearances of jesus uh the difference it makes to believe in our future resurrection in the ascension of jesus in the holy spirit and in the trinity mm-hmm. and mm. um stephen and katie are both going to be preaching during that sermon yep. series and then at 6.30, we're also starting another series on Esther, which is one of my favorite Bible stories. So I'm really mm. excited about that. Um, and about uh, the, the sermon series is entitled, So Where is God in the Story of Esther? Because I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, that God isn't mentioned once, in, not the, once. in the story of Esther. Not not by name or not explicitly. No, yep. Sort of just tells the story of a yep. girl called Esther and what yep. happens to her. Uh, so um, I would imagine then that throughout that series, the different preachers are going to be looking at where God is at work in this story without yep. being explicitly mm. yep. named. That's the aim. Which is a really interesting question. I think it's a it's the kind of question that people ask themselves of all sorts of things mm. daily, you know, saying tough things they go through, yeah. uh, good things they go through, yeah. you know, where's God in this? Mm. Lo- looking for God, uh, as Katie mentioned, you know, in that day-to-day going to work, mm. the, you know, uh, and where's God in this? And um, so the, I think the story of Esther can be really quite interesting yeah. in posing that question. You know, here's a story, God's not mentioned, yeah. but why is it in the Bible, yeah. you know? And, and I'm sure that's the reason why um, God's name isn't mentioned in it. I'm sure it's absolutely deliberate. Um, in order to provoke that question so that we have to do the hard work. So if you contrast it with the story of Joseph in Genesis, um, you've got in some ways a similar story uh, about someone uh, in a foreign land um, with difficult things uh, happening. Um, But the story of Joseph does explicitly bring God in. It says God was with Joseph Mm. and that's why the prison warder, you know, sort of had favour on him. The interesting thing in the story of Esther is you don't get any of that. And um, there's no, uh, and God was with Esther or you yeah. know, God was angry with Haman or anything like that. And I think that's part of its value, that having um, been trained in reading the earlier biblical stories, it's almost like we're on our on our own with Esther. Yeah. So, you know, we've been well, given a helping hand. it's a period hand. of yeah. exile, isn't it? So, yeah. so 
they mm. probably as a people felt like where is yeah God? well the exile um, right had ended in the sense that the persians had allowed the people to come home but some of them hadn't returned because that's why esther certainly um, hadn't had full uh, restoration yeah there's and, uh, nothing like the fulfillment of the promises that god yeah. made in isaiah and, and other places like that had occurred and so i think it is a particularly valuable book for people who will be thinking well actually where is god you know we have all these awful events happening yep. we have a general election just around the corner where there's very mm. few people having any faith that anything's going to change uh people have tragedies happening in their personal lives and they think well where actually is this yep. god that we came to believe in in all of this and so i think the real value of the book of esther is we've got to do the hard work and we've got to say where where is god in these pretty awful events actually yep. you mean the intellectual hard work or you don't mean the hard work of changing the world as esther did well, I think that's one of the things that leads mm. from it. But mm. I think first we have to sort of um, do the hard work of seeing, well, where was God active Yeah, in this, it can be too easy story. to... Uh, mm. We can almost find comfort in that um, sitting back and saying, well, God's not here, it's rubbish, isn't it? You know, this yeah. whole thing's rubbish. And, and we stop at that point yeah. rather than saying... I'm struggling to find yeah. God in this, yeah. but I do believe yeah. he's somewhere. Yeah. And and, has and it's not to just, say. as we, we'll see when we get to the end of the book, it's not just seeing where God is in difficult and awful things happening it's when god's people appear to win then they do some pretty terrible things yeah and so i think asking the question well how how was god in that triumph yeah by his people that then turned so bloodthirsty and so full of vengeance so so actually there's lots of tough questions around mm. about where is god in all the mess of this world yeah um and um, so hopefully what, I, what I find series. interesting with Esther as well is as you kind of mentioned Joseph and, and other stories that have really caught the imagination in kind of popular so you've got Joseph's a musical and you've got yeah. you know movies made about other parts of the Bible Esther's kind of tailor made for that and yeah. yet it, it it hasn't seemed well it to is ever quite bloodthirsty the... I mean you were saying you read it and it's oh, yeah. like a fairy tale but there's yeah. quite a lot of it that's very adult material well, really isn't it yeah I suppose yeah. so and all that well, I don't know. He's yes, got very obvious goodies, baddies, yep. you know, the battle between good and yep. evil and a, and a yep. you know, beautiful princess who, yep. who or beautiful queen. That, yep. that You know, it, it, it's kind of got a lot of the ingredients you'd expect in a Disney movie, but yep. yet, mm. uh, yeah, perhaps it's... I mean, a lot of people have, you know, doubted whether it should be in the Bible. Luther wasn't keen on it. Mm. Um, I think not having explicit mention of God um, made it something that for a lot of people made it have a rather secular feel. Yeah, people don't sometimes know what to do with it. Really. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that's part of what makes Esther so amazing, and especially as a little girl growing up in church, the story of Esther really captured my imagination, and I think it's Did you nearly end up in a harem? <laughs> Not quite, no. <laughs> but I think it's because, be she, um, because she's yeah. so yeah. brave, I think. Yeah. And, and that's picked up on a, in, a, in a lot of the more recent Disney films. Um, but Esther is so brave and you, we've talked about how it's not when you're in the moment in Esther it's it's a bit difficult to see where God is in it and Esther had to be brave and had to assume God was there even when mm. she couldn't see it otherwise mm. she wouldn't have done you know she wouldn't have done the things that she did so I that's why I quite like the story it's a very exciting one yep. mm. well there you go I mean perhaps, perhaps you ought to write a script for a Disney film Anna and make a lot of money yes maybe I will <laughs> <laughs> get started this afternoon <laughs> But Esther was actually 
um, a victim of human trafficking. Actually. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Over quite a lot, isn't Ab- it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that second chapter is pretty horrific, really, yeah. mm. and it's reported in such a matter-of-fact way. Mm. But in chapter one of Esther, we get the previous queen disposed of because she's not willing to be objectified and just yeah. put up for all Xerxes's drunken mates to leer at. Yeah. And then in chapter two, we get this really appalling story of all these young girls, most of whom were probably teenagers, mm. who then take it in turns to spend the night with but the king. But taken from so their families take, yeah. to yeah. the palace yeah. for the yeah. harem. Absolutely. Mm. Um, it's horrific. And, um, and not really set free afterwards, were they? They yeah. had to no. just carry on living yeah. there, yeah. even if they weren't the, the one yes. that got picked Absolutely. to be the new queen. They and just the king might stay. call on them at a certain point if he remembers them, and yeah. but they've got a pretty awful existence. Mm. Um, yeah, so that that's 6.30. Um, 9.30 I'm quite excited about as well. Um, Around this time of year we get uh, Ascension Day, which occurs on a Thursday um, and churches traditionally have services on a Thursday evening. Um, People don't tend to turn out for that, so I tend to do Ascension on the nearest Sunday. Okay. Um, And uh, then we've got Pentecost and then we've got Trinity Sunday. So quite often one of the series will try and pick up on those parts of the church's year. And I think it's good for us to constantly ask, well, these things are part of our beliefs, but how can they make a practical difference to yeah, our lives? Yeah, it's nice to see Easter carried on, you know, yep. like past. It, it can be so easy to have a bit of a celebration done for another yep. year. Um, but yeah. to say, okay, so we've just celebrated this thing, but this thing that we're celebrating, what difference does yep. it make? Um, well, and, I think and including our future resurrection, because I think that's really important. Often um, mm. when people mention resurrection, they think, well, we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. But actually, the New Testament hope is that we'll all have a future resurrection. Yeah. And so actually reflecting on, well, what difference does it make to actually believe that one day we'll be physically raised from the dead, given the earth to to look after and it will be renewed? You know, what difference should that make to us in the present? And also the ascension of Jesus is really important as well, because yeah. the ascension of Jesus is about the fact that Jesus already reigns over the world. Um, he's already been installed as king over the over the world the one who sort of reigns in heaven rules on earth um and what difference that can make to our confidence to um to who Christian we serve mission. You know, yeah to who we serve is absolutely crucial yeah. yeah because if jesus is already lord of the world then serving him rather than the powers that yeah. can appear to be in that, charge yeah i think mm. we do have messages constantly about how to succeed in yep. this world you know that that's basically being fed to us constantly um yep. some more subtle than others but but yep. different values being fed but yep. if but if jesus is actually ascended yep. and ruling and in charge yep. then the things that we uh aim for and our values are probably going to be a bit different than yep. the things that are being fed to us all the time absolutely mm. sounds really interesting so and then the ten commandments we're finishing at 11 um, which has been, you know, it was interesting to do the first five commandments a little while ago and yeah. now to complete the set. Yeah. Well, Katie, yes. no pressure or anything, <laughs> but I noticed that you are speaking on the Holy Spirit on Pentecost itself. Oh, yes. Uh, so, um, what, how do you go about planning for that? What do you, how do you sit down and write a sermon? Do you, when you, when you read that, you know, when Stephen says to you, oh, I'd like you to preach on the Holy Spirit, do you yeah. have, bam, all of a sudden, you know exactly what you're going to say? Oh, yeah, flash of inspiration, or just like how, that. How does it work? <laughs> well, something like, a topic like this is a little bit more difficult because it's not specifically tied to a particular passage of the Bible. Mm. So when, when the, the sermon is on a passage of the Bible, I go about it in a slightly different way. But with something like this, I think 
again, this is where it's an advantage being a lay reader and not um, a clergyman because I don't have to do a sermon every single week. So I have mm. time to sort of mull it over a bit. Yeah. Mm. So I just look out for things all through from when I get the preaching program till the day of the sermon, just looking out for things all the time that okay. are related to that subject and thinking how can what I'm going to preach about apply to this or how does that how can that feed into what my understanding of the topic mm. um so sometimes I kind of make little notes as the as time goes on and then when I come to do it uh I what what I also try and do is during the weeks running up to it or the days depending on how long there is I use that subject or that passage in my quiet times in the morning so I read the passage and I think about the subject on my own, in re in relation to my own life, um, and pray about it, and pray about my life in res in in the light of that subject or that passage. Right. So that the first thing I do is I apply it to myself, or I apply my my life ah. through that mm. the light of it, and that gives me a much deeper understanding than I would have had before I'd done that. And then from that I can draw out then I think about obviously the things that are going on in church and stuff mm. like that and from that I the, the the themes which come to me during that initial study of doing it in my in my quiet time then I can sort of draw out themes which can be expanded into points for the sermon mm. so that's how you know sometimes something will stand out and I um from what I've learnt over the last few days or the last however long it is and I just think oh my goodness that that can really form an, the nub of the sermon because mm. it's so relevant to what we've been talking about yeah. or what's happened yeah. and I can then draw it out into something mm. that's you know proper point yeah so that's so. a huge amount of preparation really and, and time spent mulling well, things over and it is but it's also it's not extra time that I'm sitting there, that I'm not doing anything else. It's kind of part of what I'm doing mm. normally. Yeah. So, it's, it's, so it's very much informed just, uh, by your day-to-day -day life. I then. think so, yeah. yeah. Mm. And it's not, you know, sometimes mm. you can prepare for, I don't know, an, an exam, mm. and uh, you, you go, you set the exam, you get your result, and although mm. you've got the, the thing to say there, it's done, Yeah. in a way that's such abstract from life, it can feel <laughs> a bit like wasted time or mm. but with this you know you're growing as you prepare it as well yeah. so yeah, it's not and just I uh, think also for me discussing it with other people is an important part of it so for example I get quite a lot of ideas from my home group and and so sometimes we'll be having a discussion and they'll say something in the discussion which I think oh that really fits in with the sermon that I've got to preach yeah. next yeah, week on so yeah. and so or and then so I pinch their ideas, mm. um, <laughs> or the other way around. Sometimes I may, might say, "Look, what do you think of this subject?" and and I ask them mm. a particular question, and then and then I really get ideas from their response yeah. to the mm. question yeah. as well. But yeah, I think community is so important yes. in shaping these things. You know, Absolutely. It, 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 without it, you know, we can prepare a sermon and then stand up and deliver it to ourselves yeah. almost. Yeah. You know, and you, you know, it's it's not relevant. Well, it's yeah. not what people are yeah. um, struggling with, or yeah. you know, we're detached mm. almost. And and I think yeah. to yeah, it's great. Well, the best bit of advice I think I was ever given on preparing sermons was by an old vicar of mine called Rupert Higgins, who when I was first starting up preaching, which is 20 years ago now, or uh, just over 21 years ago, he said to me, re if you're given a passage to preach on, he said to me, read it through, 
and then uh, pray and ask God to show you the one thing that he mm. wants those people who are coming to take away. And mm. he said, and try and pray with some of them in mind. Um, and he then said, and then get Katie to read the passage and see if she agrees. <laughs> not me. And it was yeah. interesting. Not, not this time. one. Um, well, I certainly did when I first started preaching. Yeah, for the first couple of years, that's what I did. I, I think, you know, I'm a little bit more sort of confident now. But I think actually it was really interesting looking back on that. The whole thing about when you first start off in any form of Christian ministry, and it's probably a good principle to continue, that actually we're meant to do things in groups. And a sermon mm. can look like just one person holding forth to everyone else, but actually it should always be a dialogue, really, between yeah. what those people who are listening are already experiencing, yeah. what they're already questioning, what their concerns and their upsets are. And that's one of the reasons why I'm always unhappy, and this sometimes happens in large evangelical churches, where preaching and pastoral work are divorced from one another. And yeah. they have your preachers, and then you have a pastoral team. Yep. And I always think that's a bit disastrous, because preaching must be pastoral. Mm. The same people who are doing it must be the people who are visiting, people who are bereaved, or are dealing with someone who's um, just going through a marriage breakup or something yeah. like that. Because it does knock the edges mm. off the way that you preach, yeah. And, yeah. and make it hopefully more relevant to the situation. I think it's a risk. It happens in a lot in churches. You know, you've got a church leader who um, yep. is learning and being challenged and all these things who then writes a book that's successful and the pressure to kind of move away yeah. from leadership to being a famous christian author or yeah. you know uh, um which divorces the yeah, and to the delegate practice. all that pastoral yeah, stuff you know, um, yeah. Um, yeah. and yet that's where it should be yeah. being shaped and honed yeah. by yeah. Um, yes because otherwise you get sort of academic ivory tower syndrome that don't you well that's yeah. there is such a i mean having studied theology yeah. as well there is such mm. a huge gap between uh, academic theology and the church yeah and they yeah. are an insecure bunch i mean the interesting yeah. thing is when you get to know um some writers uh there's usually some level of insecurity around because they're not actually uh involved in pastoral ministry they're yeah. sort of testing it all um, so what do you think is the role then of reading commentaries before you write a sermon because when i was doing my yep. lay readers course that was one of the things that we were taught to do you know you you read a passage you read various commentaries more than one yep. on the same on that passage and from there that's how you find out what's important in the passage but like i just described i i don't yeah. I don't read commentaries at the beginning. I might read a commentary later, but yeah. not at the start. Mm. Yeah, my view is, unless you're coming to a Bible passage that you've got no handle on whatsoever, mm. and you think, oh, crumbs, yes, I really do need to read stuff about mm. this. I think personally, I think it a little bit depends how long someone's been preaching for, but I think it's good to sort of pray at the start before you even read the passage and say, look, you know, God, show me, you know, I need your wisdom on this. Show me what you want me to yeah. say. Mm. But then I think it's good to read through the passage and be asking, well, God, what do you want to teach me through this? What do you want to teach the people uh, that this is going to be through this? And I think then the role of commentaries comes in. If people need to sort of follow up mm, bits yeah. and bobs. And it is quite interesting then going to the commentaries and they will sometimes bring out something even oh crumbs right yeah. yes that is there yeah. as well That's and I guess there I are mean, you listen to sermons online as well don't you? you're I the only person I know it who is interesting. does that a, as a crucial part of your preparation yeah. and it's so quite a different uh, thing for me when I'm preparing is that I read really widely like yeah. lots and lots of reading listen to other people's sermons yeah. on the topic things like that and again I've got the luxury to do that because I'm only preaching um, mm. you know uh, maybe a max once a month but probably a bit less than that even and um, yeah th then I from that point have all sorts of things yeah. to mull over and interestingly you know when it comes to writing I realise how little of 
the stuff that I've read makes it in there. Yes. But yeah. But uh, you know, and actually, most of what makes it in there is basically you know stuff that I already had in me ready to say. But it's just been. I, I appreciate that it's been shaped maybe mm. by even on a subconscious level by all of the other stuff I've immersed yep. myself in before yep. yes, that point. Yes, because it hones your ideas by mm. by sort of sharpening them against somebody yeah. else's ideas. Yeah. Absolutely. It? I mean, in fact, a lot of the time I find it most helpful to read lots of stuff that I really disagree with. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and it, why you it does clear. It helps yeah. me to kind of clarify what do I want this to say. Yeah. And a lot of the time. You know, the stuff that you do find online mm. and, and from other um, places, it's not for your context. It's mm. not for Christchurch yeah. New Malden. It's, it's yeah. for their One of the other things I want to say is different preachers have different skills. And one of the things I am pleased about, maybe mentioned on the podcast in the past, is that we've got a really diverse preaching team who bring mm. different things mm. so that different people or people in different life situations will appreciate the diversity of preachers that we've got. Yeah. And one of your particular gifts, Katie, is you're very good at il illustrations. They come very naturally Oh, to I get you. into trouble with David if I don't give any illustrations. Well, <laughs> your illustrations are really, they come very, very naturally, and you weave them into um, the sermon as it continues. You don't just give an illustration as a sort of opener. Mm. Um, you actually, and I think a really good illustration, I'll speak as somebody who doesn't do them particularly well, um, is I think a really good illustration is one where people go, yeah, yeah, that is the case. You and know, it sort of inwardly convicts people in a way. Mm -hmm. And makes it a bit more memorable, hopefully, too, yeah. for people. Well, that brings us on to the next topic, because we are going to look at... I mean, I'm very conscious that I'm the only person here today who doesn't preach. Not yet. Ever. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, uh, but I do listen to a lot of sermons um, uh, from, from the point of view of being in the congregation. And, um, and I think it would be fair to say that different people enjoy and are challenged by different things when it comes to sermons. And, um, and you probably have even more of an insight into that if you are involved in preaching mm. as well. So, um, and that, is, that, you know, there's no right or wrong very often when it comes to this. It's just different people's individual preference, really, yep. and what, yep. what they find or helpful. Or life situation, yeah. So, um, so, Stephen, what do you personally like in a sermon? I the sermons that really do it for me, and actually most of the preaching team, all of the preaching team now, are people I'm really delighted and happy with their sermons. Um, so there's different things that you get from different people, like you get, you know, comedy from Tim Davis. Um, <laughs> he's very good at making me feel laugh. Uh, as I say, you get excellent illustrations from Katie Lofman. Uh, you get real passion and enthusiasm, um, very earnest sort of uh, plea for a response from Becky Mills and that sort of thing. Um, with Carolyn, a very sort of precise, um, very sort of thoughtful approach. But I suppose the sermons that really do it for me are ones where I'll never think about that subject in quite the same way again. Mm. And they sort of shift your understanding around a bit yep. and think, oh, wow, I've never really thought about it that way yeah the and those ones uh -huh. yeah they really really help me now for other people mm. that may not be the case to the same level they may be looking uh for something a bit more personally that sort of touches them but for me it's it's when i get a bit of help understanding something more clearly and mm. i think oh yeah that's the reason why that makes sense or oh that's a really helpful tool for now approaching that subject mm. so that's quite a cerebral thing for yep. me you know it it, a good sermon for me is one that really helps my understanding. But I'm very aware that there are other people for whom that's less important and it's something that touches an area where they really need help or healing. Now, that may go for me in the future. It may mm. be that I'm in certain situations where I need a more pastoral approach to preaching. 
But at the moment, that's where I am really in, mm. in terms of what does the bizzo for me. I think I'm probably the total opposite of you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, I, d- I don't tend to worry quite so much about the things I don't understand. <laughs> Re- read into that what you will. Well, no, that's it's interesting you say that because there is someone who said it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that worries me. It's the things in the Bible that I do understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think yeah. you're on quite firm ground there. So what what I like more is sort of personal mm. personal challenge in in sermons uh where I maybe recognize a a challenge to do with a particular bible story that I hadn't realized before or how it how it could apply to me and the way I ought to live my life I do I do Mm. like the other kinds of sermons Mm. and I find it interesting to understand particular bible stories more or understand cultural relevance Mm. in a different way but I find that quite a bit more abstract and so I yeah. very often leave thinking oh that was really interesting but yeah. I don't I don't yeah. feel challenged to live any differently, any differently yeah yeah if that makes sense. absolutely yeah and I think preaching must have uh within it um what practical things am I gonna try and do differently as a result mm. so um ideally mm. that's the case yeah. Yes. I also think, while we're on the subject, uh, that preachers should not underestimate the power of a well put together slideshow presentation. <laughs> <laughs> Cho- choose an appropriate background, not one that's distracting. I quite like. I know, in all seriousness, I do find it very helpful. Carolyn Lucas puts together brilliant PowerPoints for her sermons, and I think the key to it is I find it really helpful that she she doesn't put loads of text on the screen. It's not wordy. But she is very good at choosing images and pictures mm. that go together really well with mm. what she's saying. Yeah, you can almost make a dual point. You know, you're talking, yeah. but it, you're yes, having her, it her deepened by really, a picture. Yes, her pictures really that, back uh, up or help to explain what she's saying. Mm. And, it, yep. and it's, just, it's just an image, but I personally find that really helpful. It's also quite nice to have something to... to look at because yep. I'm, I'm yeah. not very good at looking directly at the person who's <laughs> preaching my eyes tend to wander around a bit though I think so it's it, quite nice particularly they're ugly <laughs> I think, though I think you, hit, you do hit on a good point there in that um, the, the preaching in, on its own um, is kind of enriched by the use of images and things but I think the people are changing you know sermons have mm. been around it's been the way the church has taught for a very very mm. long time and I you know um, I do wonder sometimes, is, is sermons, is that the style or should we be thinking outside mm. the box a little bit more? I know it, it's always, it's taken me a little while to get used to preparing and delivering mm. them. And I'm starting, you know, I've got to the point now where I quite mm. enjoy yeah. the, the process and I get enough feedback from people to, to be confident that, that there are definitely people mm. who it, are able to engage with that. And yep. But I still sometimes feel like, you know, I'd rather do all the work that we've talked about, all the preparation, have all the kind of feel like I'm confident on mm. a topic and then go across to the pub and sit around and discuss it with people, mm. you know, and, and talk but a bit like But even then there will be input, wouldn't there? You, I mean, I think, oh, yeah, no, I, I think ideally... Input is, is vital. I think ideally what we'd have in, in terms of teaching would be 20 minutes of input and then, say, 40 minutes of discussion, yeah. breaking into groups mm. and that sort of thing. Um, and I think, um, you know, when, when we do a sort of training day or something like that, that's probably the way we would do it. Or, yeah. for instance, on the Simply Christian course... Mm. So I think it's a bit of a sort of concession to what people sort of are want or what. Yeah, you know, it's always the that risk actually with we're stuck with, you know, a twenty-minute. Well, I, I hope it's not a monologue because of what I said earlier. That I hope actually it is. It's prepared in dialogue with well, the community. Well, yeah, it's prepared that you're in dialogue. It is. You know, the trouble is that when we have done right now, break into groups and discuss this, it then expands the time alarmingly. Yep. 
and it's yes, really how much... Yes, because you can't get into a discussion in just yeah. a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. it takes people a while to get it. going, doesn't yeah. it? Yes. And that is a big yeah. challenge. I mean, yeah. why, why do you think there is such reluctance to invest two hours in a service if, you know, if it's more engaging? Well, I suppose, or... I think partly also, one of the comments I remember my dad making about preaching is it's a bit like meals, where you regularly feed people. You don't mm. just sort of yep. make them absolutely... Kind of banquet. St- yeah, you banquet yeah. once a... And and some people can sometimes approach church that way, where mm-hmm. you know where you come, you get totally and utterly stuffed, yeah, and that's meant to sustain you then for. Sometimes people go Six off to months. conferences with a little <laughs> yep. bit of that you know yeah. you go and get your fix at New Wine or Spring. So do you think whatever. then that we should be given homework to do with a sermon? Well, so do you know? Something, do you something know? Practical well, we did on simply question. We gave homework, yeah. and and it really I think made a big difference, and it would be quite a shift. But actually, you've just said something we'll probably now go on and do Anna because I think well no I I think it is I think it I think one of the things congregations mustn't be as passive and I think people will get loads more out of sermons if they look at the preaching program what's coming up if they read through the passage and perhaps they pray themselves God show me what you want me to take from this because if people start the sermon and oh right yes it's on Esther this week um, and or oh yes, of course it is because it started last week. Then probably they're not as prepared to get as much out of that yeah. as yeah. they would be. Mm. If and they it's always the risk, the balance between you know uh, user friendly, vegan yeah. church, you know, yeah. um, approachable, and you know all yeah. of those things, but lose not losing challenge in Absolutely. that. And and it, it can be I, I know having grown up in church and listened to yeah. lots of sermons, it can be really easy to approach it with a kind of how's this just going to reaffirm everything yeah. I already believe yeah. you know you come almost wanting the preacher to give you a pat on the back yes well, you're already yeah. doing all the this very well I like well, the opposite as I say yeah. you know really good sermons for me subvert what I, I agree, I've already but, thought um, I and, think uh, it can so be I risk. get a huge amount out of sermons now I think once you're preaching sermons you do tend to get more out of them because you um, I don't know whether you two have found this but but I've found since I started preparing sermons which has been a long time now I yeah. listen to sermons differently Yes. Mm. I one thing that annoys me a lot about some sermons that I've heard in the past, not at Christchurch, obviously ever. <laughs> <laughs> is, I bet it was. No, it's, it's when you get a serve a sermon that appears to be addressing a difficult subject and then it's just full of cop outs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that I just find Cliches that so frustrating. And, yeah. and I and I you know, so I find myself thinking, Yes, but how do we mm. do all those things yeah. you just said or yeah. why is it like that? So th- I think the sermons that I like are the ones where that explain a difficult subject that yeah. that, that I've maybe been having a question about in my yeah. mind and and it gives me some answers. Maybe. Well, that's why, or at least as well, Indian engage or, or on a very honest way. Well, that's why it, quite a few of our sermons it. are questions. Mm. Yeah, and hopefully there's no question that's off limits. You know, mm. I really want um, our sermons at Christchurch to never be guilty of ducking. Uh, tough issues no. even if the answer that comes back isn't a brilliant one it's much better to have asked a tough question and got some sort of answer than to have not asked the question at all yeah. so yeah. I'm aware I ask an awful lot of our preachers um, I know yeah. sometimes it's really hard and I just look at the subject I've got to preach about and I think oh no how on earth <laughs> are I going to say about that well I try not to give anyone a subject that I wouldn't be prepared <laughs> to do myself so there have been three sermons on sex at Christchurch and I've yeah. done all three of them oh really um, I at each service. There's someone else has had to preach on sex. Oh, Susanna. Yeah, Susanna. yeah, Susanna was the first person who was bequeathed it. Yeah. Um, oh, I had one. Did you? I had the pressure on our young people to have sex. Oh, that's true, you did. Sorry, yeah. we've delegated sex now. But you, Yeah, that's it. You, you, you led the way. Yep. 
Well, I think that's all we have. <laughs> on that note, yeah. <laughs> You're steering off. <laughs> yes. Um, but if you have got a difficult question or an easy question that you feel should be answered from the pulpit, do send Stephen Kurt an email. <laughs> or and a perhaps, postcard. And perhaps it could be included in a future um, preaching mm. program. Yep. Um, uh, but in the meantime, do remember that there is a copy of the preaching program available. Uh, they are located by the main entrance to the lounge if you would like to plan ahead and see what's coming up um it's also available on the christchurch website as well as are all of the sermons that mm. get preached so if you miss a sermon on a sunday or you, and you'd quite like to hear it um elizabeth hill always puts them up the following monday so it's very quick very easy to listen to you don't yeah. even have to download it if you nope. don't want to you can just press play on the website and and out someone's voice will come. Yep. Um, and um, and do remember that for more information about Christchurch, you can visit our website. And we're also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christchurch New Malden. And you can follow us on Twitter at CCNM News. But that's all from us. See you next time. <laughs>